Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm here today with Andrew Amen. He's the founder and CEO at 923 Studio. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, excited to have you. So, Andrew, why don't you start and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, we founded 923 Studio about 11 years ago. Uh, we've been building mobile, web, and AI apps uh, for those 11 years. And our products are in the hands of millions and millions of customers nowadays. Uh, we do we build for funded startups and established brands. You know, we've graduated from the, the I guess, the seed round, or if you want to call it the go-to-market from scratch round. And we're introducing, you know, second-time founders and third-time founders as well as getting into B2B and doing established brands that are looking for another way to go to market, another revenue stream, another profit stream. And so that's our, uh, that's our mobile app studio and web app studio. Uh, we also do AI for large language models, ChatGPT, and we've been doing that since 2017. So it's not a new game for us, even though it's getting a lot of press nowadays. It is something we've been developing you know, for the last six years. And then um, for myself, I was a nuclear submarine engineer uh, out of school. I worked in Groton, Connecticut as a civilian uh, for the first five, six years of my life. Um, and then I invented a supply chain process of how to move large components across the manufacturing floor that introduced me to software. And then from there, I, at the same time as I was doing the patents, um, I had met my co-founder, Pavel, and uh, the two of us started you know, the studio that you see today. Um, but it gave me the introduction of how to build software products for large manufacturing businesses. And, you know, pretty much the, um, the, I would say the diving board as opposed to the pedestal, but the diving board to give me the uh, ability to talk to our customers today that are trying to do digital transformation or change their businesses into a more efficient and more, you know, profitable uh, business. Holy cow, that's a that's a good introduction. You've given me a lot of questions to ask. So starting out, you know, when you first started 923 Studio with Pavel, when did you guys realize you were onto something with with this? Sure. So the the first five years, it was just the two of us, and we built an app called Inigo, and it's a digital um, it is a digital business card. And so if you've ever used LinkedIn nowadays, HubSpot has it. But if you're meeting two people face to face, you can press the QR code button on LinkedIn. And with one phone, you can transact to individuals' contact information. We hadn't really, we weren't the first one to come up with it, but we were the largest app that utilized that QR code technology. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, you know, in 2012, 2013, phones didn't have the capability of the operating system to take a picture of a QR code. So you had to have a specific app. And so we were the number one app in America for Android and iPhone. Uh, and we sold that company in 2016. So up until us actually selling, is the answer where I did not think it was going to work. And then we sold the company, we sold the assets, kept the team. And that from that point on, I knew we were going to be successful in this. That's fantastic. And you know, when you're talking about the work that 923 does, talk to me a little bit about how you're able to differentiate yourself from, you know, the from the other companies that are in your space. Sure. The biggest differentiator is we really understand business models. We understand revenue generation and profit profitability and how to get profit. Uh, because we're a smaller team, we're more of a boutique shop. I get involved at the front end of this, you know, design process, if you want to call it, of how does a business iterate on building a product? And not only do they iterate, we can find second and third lines of revenue for businesses that they didn't even see, you know, from their standard internal meetings. Mm -hmm. So uh, when they come to us, especially for a digital transformation or to improve their efficiency, 
our advantage is that we we not only can build the product, but we can promise a return on investment, right? Because we know how much we cost and we know how much money we're saving the company. So by the end of the engagement, we can say, look, in 1.5 years, not only will you pay for us, but you're now going to make an additional 20% of profit every single month or year, whatever the number is going forward. So that ability to understand business models, to understand revenue generation, to understand how our product works with the customers really gives us a competitive edge to be a partner with somebody and be in their technology expertise, as opposed to just being an order taker, which is what a lot of agencies are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, in your introduction, you talked a little bit about leveraging AI and technology. So talk to me a little bit about how you're able to leverage that technology and, you know, like you said, kind of the data analytics to drive growth and, and make decisions for, for how you're best able to assist these companies. Yeah. So AI is the the family of machine learning, right? It is the, the, grandchild, the grandparent of, of machine learning. Machine learning specifically is where we... Uh, do a lot of our research and a lot of our development in with our data scientists. And machine learning is the process of, of trying, u- using algorithms to guess at predictable solutions for the future. And so we've been doing that, you know, for many of our software solutions. Uh, somebody comes to us and says, hey, I want to improve my, my CRO, like how people are optimized on the website. I want to, one of them is we're improving the German train system. We want to make the trains run on time. We're trying to predict efficiency in a shop floor of you know how much waste do they have. Those are all machine learning problems that are trial and error for the most part until you start realizing that the machine can no longer need the human supervision and can mm-hmm. kind of understand the, the, the prediction that's happening. And one of the best use cases right now is we started with a company called Dataflick. They hired us to do their machine learning for uh, predicting house sales in the United States. And we started at zero. We could predict 0% of the houses that were coming for sale. And after 18 months of understanding the markets, predicting and using the data to really work for us, uh, we started predicting about 70% of the house sales in the United States after those 18 months of work. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a good product. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, you know, going back to talking about, you said that you primarily work with established businesses. That was the term that you used, correct? Correct. Yeah. So when you're working with these established businesses, do you find that 923 primarily kind of starts from the beginning and kind of re- recreates the strategy? Um, or do you find kind of taking what they currently have and supplementing the work that they're doing? What would you say 923 tends to do more? Yeah, if you're, so, if you're familiar with like the McKinsey model or the Bain model or Boston Consulting Group, we take a lot of notes from how they position themselves online. We're consultants that understand technology and how technology increases productivity and as well as profitability for the business. And when you understand those two things, and I spend all my days studying how businesses operate, then I can truly provide insights to the company in any industry. But when they come to us, they are industry experts that are in use of technology. If we were to find them, then in theory, we are technology experts in need of an industry. And so when we do our design sprints, our lead product manager and myself, we get in a room, we put sticky notes everywhere, and we're trying to go through a process in which you know we can provide the technology expertise and they can provide the business expertise. And when you merge those two together, you realize that no one has to come up with a solution, the solution appears. Mm-hmm. And if our process is documented the way that it has been in the last five or six foundations, I walk into every foundation with a preconceived idea of how this is gonna go. And every time I'm surprised that the product changes for the better by the time we're done with it, because the expertise on their side and the technology that we know how to meet with it turns out a product that is always revolutionary. And so I think that's where we provide the most value. 
Interesting. I want to dive a little bit deeper into a comment that you made about studying businesses. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, um, from your perspective, what would you say would be a characteristic or um, something of a company that sticks out to you when when you're doing these these deep data dives that says, ooh, that's a point that we really got to see. Is there a trend that you see that is the same thing often? Yeah, it's always how to produce profit or how to how to produce more profit from what you currently have. And there's always these examples that I give, and I'll, I'll just go through two or three of the top ones that I, I just absolutely love providing. Um, and one of them is that every time a company has a two-sided marketplace, they always have this listing problem. How do I approach, like if I've, let's make an easy case of like entrepreneurs and investors, right? So if I have a bunch of investors and no entrepreneurs, the platform is worthless. If I have you know, a bunch of entrepreneurs and no investors, the platform is worthless. How do you approach the model of populating one side so that the other sees value without putting in the effort up front so you can get the first movers? And there's multiple ways to do that. And we can look back in history of all the products that have had a two-sided marketplace and discovered their business models to do that. Airbnb being the famous one, the guys walked around New York City and took pictures of apartments, sometimes that weren't even for sale, with their high-end cameras and then told all of the people on Airbnb that were selling their apartments or like listing their apartments, we will take your pictures for you. Because they realized that if they can increase the inventory, the places to rent and make it look really appealing, the customers will come. So they approach that side. Uber, I mean, famously and also notoriously, and maybe it's not even a true story, they had fake cars driving around so that it looked popular that there was a bunch of Ubers on the app when in reality, there was maybe one or two in the area, right? So there's business tricks that you learn about that you know allow this to happen. But there's also like the actual tried and true revenue drivers that these companies have proven out over time really drives that one side of the marketplace. And some business cases that I always, and then once you get the listings, Yelp is always something that people don't fully understand how it works. You know, you have, you know, the top 10 restaurants in Chicago, right? And probably a bunch of deep dish pizza places. You can for sure sell the marketplace. Yeah, right. It's not always, yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't like deep dish in this state. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so you can list the top 10 and surely you can just say, you know, I am getting the traffic because I know the top 10 marketplaces. Or you can reverse engineer it and go back to the actual restaurants and say, what position would you like to bid for? And you create an auction. And that's how Yelp operates. They create an auction for the top 10 of all these cities, and you can pay more to get listed higher. And that's another revenue stream that these two-sided marketplaces really never think about because they want as many entrepreneurs on the platform, going back to the entrepreneur-investor comparison. They want as many entrepreneurs, but what if the investors had to pay to play, right? And you can go on and find every single investor, make a free profile, say that Shamath is going to invest in this platform. And then when it happens, contact him, right? You could, you kind of hack it, but you can also have the investors pay to rank themselves higher against the investors that could be fake or in the platform themselves. So all these tricks matter and understanding how businesses have driven revenue, you know, the underlying ways really helps companies, uh, you know, when they hire us, it really takes them to another level of, of growth. Yeah. So it sounds like you really are working to be a partner, not only just building, you know, mobile web and AI apps, but really being a part of business partner, taking a deeper dive and saying, hey, you know, these are these are different areas that I see potential areas for growth. Maybe we should take a look at that. Yeah. And that's why I like comparing it to McKinsey. Right. Imagine 
every business McKinsey has touched, right? And then imagine there was one person in that business that was aware of all those business models internally, how they worked, how they operated, the process every single consultant went through. And then coming to myself and Pavel and saying, do you know all of these? And we can say, yes, we know all of those business models. We know how to apply those. And we know how to increase, whether it's revenue or profit on your side, using these differentiating business models. And oh yeah, we can build the product too. You don't have to go hire somebody different. You're hiring us and we're going to see this product through. And so when you ask us for a feature, that's like, can you change the sun from yellow to orange? And like, do you really want to spend money on that now before you prove out the model? Right. And that's the goal. That's like our product building aspect of this can be honed in on the actual business model saying, let's get to profitability so that when you're making more money, you can give us that money to keep building your product mm -hmm. as opposed to like, hey, here's a product. Go, go. Good luck marketing it. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, you know, I, I did a little bit of research on you guys. So you break down kind of five different steps in the relationship. So talking about discovery, design, development, scaling, and maintaining. Yeah. Walk me through each of those kind of stages and why each stage is so important to your clients. Sure. And there is a sixth step now. We are in the process of working with a marketing agency that's going to be, you know, uh, enhancing our marketing side and also allowing us to have a full stack you know, process from design all the way to growth. Um, and the the idea stepping from the beginning is when a customer comes to us, they generally have an idea that they want to build a product because they understand that it's going to, it's either going to do three things, increase their profits, increase their efficiency, or increase their customer base, right? And so they know they have an idea of how to do that. We need to extract how their industry operates so that we can match them with the proper product that is going to grow one of those three things. So that starts the design process. We're usually in a room, putting up a bunch of sticky notes, figuring out like how the user flow is going to map out and then determining with them what products should be built. Then we usually do a POC or something and all of our POCs or MVPs, whatever you want to call it, generate cash. And so it's silly for us to say, hey, let's go build this and then see if they come. No, let's go build this and see if people put down credit cards to pay for it, right? So that's our MVP. We build it in-house um, and then they launch it and that's when it goes to the marketing department and the marketing department can help them grow, scale, get more customers, do customer research. And it kind of comes back as a figure eight now that we have marketing because now they need more product. And so that's where you get into the maintain and also the scalability because you can just keep looping the marketing side of this and keep growing the customer base, but you can also add additional features or, or you know, product and that product can then enhance the customer growth. So this entire scale that you talked about is really six parts now, and it's more like a figure eight than it is a straight line now that we can do marketing. I think that's fantastic. And I, I see how that partnership is so important and the relationship between each of those six stages, mm -hmm. not only is, you know, not, it's not linear, more like circular, um, but yeah, I can see the, you know, the importance certainly of, of each stage in the way. So I'm, I'm curious to pivot a little bit, Andrew, in, in your experience, have, have you heard a lot of common misconceptions or, you know, businesses thinking they know one thing that, that may not necessarily be true or accurate in, in your opinion? Yes. Um, we have done some foundations before where the product that they came to us that they wanted to build ended up being the product they built. And it's unfortunate because we try our hardest to demonstrate through the market uh, that there is pitfalls that other companies in their space had approached with the same method that they're going at it and they refuse to see it. So being open-minded and understanding that you're hiring us for advice as well as consultancy. Um, you know, one of the best examples I always have is whenever you're trying to build a location-based product, like, hey, I, I want to 
post a sign in this city or this area and I want a bunch of people to like check in so that we can chat with each other. We know the numbers from Untapped and Untapped, you know, basically one of the biggest bar check-in places, apps on the marketplace, uh, they get two to three a day of people crossing paths in the most famous restaurants in each city, mm. right? So and you can just do that from the statistics of, of their app. So showing that to a new client that has zero customers compared to Untapped, which has over 10 million active subscribers saying, you're going to have a long road to prove out this model from zero to 10 million. And so we can present those those ideas and show historically how hard it's going to be for them to get from zero to 10 million. Um, but if they don't want to believe it or they don't have an open mind that there's an alternative or a shortcut, then it becomes challenging for us to you know kind of build that product. So typically that goes into foundation and then we kind of shelf it from there. But for the most part, a lot of the products that you know we work on in Design Foundation, we're kind of vetting the founders as we pick who we're going to work with. And we know if they're open-minded, willing to work with us, willing to take advice. Um, and then we also have to be open-minded too, willing to understand that we could have our wrong assumptions. Mm -hmm. But if that framework is brought in there from the beginning, we usually end up with a product that everyone's really excited about. It sounds like there's trust that has to be built on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's going back to the McKinsey idea too like a flooring company in Missouri is going to hire McKinsey to increase their profitability because they don't necessarily know what they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. There's trust inherently built as it starts working, but you lose trust if it doesn't work, right? So we have to prove quickly that one, we're good at what we do, but also the results are there. And so that's why we do the POCs and the MVPs because we don't want to build a million dollar app and then realize it doesn't work. Same with McKinsey. They want to fly in, check you out, figure out like what's going wrong with your business, give you a short game plan of like a few things you can fix right off the bat. Then you're like, you know what? This is working. Let's keep using this process. And we're the same business model, right? The more we work with them, the longer we work with them, the more areas of expertise we can kind of provide each other, the better the relationship is. Well, Andrew, I think this has been a great conversation, super insightful. As we start to wrap up, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with, you know, either about, you know, 923, about the industry, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Sure. So I think a lot of questions that I'm getting in these last two, three months is about how to use large language models inside of your business. Um, and ChatGPT, obviously, being the buzzword, we do get a lot of inbounds for people building on top of ChatGPT. And I guess my cautionary tale of, of ChatGPT is I don't think it's going to be around in the way that people see it today. I think it's a, a toy, a th a, something that's fun to play with and shows a lot of, um, I don't know, I guess promise of how AI or generative AI can work. But in reality, you, you do need to build a system that is protecting your client data, that is securely passing information between two individuals. And more importantly, like ChatGPT can be dangerous because you don't actually know the results. So building chatbots and building LLMs and all that takes a lot of process. And these companies are spending three, four year game plans putting together for their, you know, Fortune 500 companies or whatever. So a lot of the questions that I do get after these podcasts and things are, you know, can you build on top of ChatGPT or can you build? Yeah, sure we can. But are you thinking about privacy and are you really thinking about scalability if this was to work? Because, you know, ChatGPT might not be the same pricing in, in the years to come. Interesting. That's a great little bit to leave our listeners with. I'm sure that's super insightful that, that they'll definitely want to hear your your take on that. So, Andrew, I think this has been a great conversation. I appreciate all your insights and uh, being on Business Ninjas today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, great to have you. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. 
Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.